This morning, we are continuing in our series that we've started this year with uh, about questions that, that Jesus asked. Questions that Jesus asked his followers, questions that Jesus asked his adversaries, questions that he asked. And we started uh, the start of the year in the first chapter of John's gospel. And I think my clicker is going to work, but maybe not. Uh, the first question that, that Jesus asks in John's gospel, he's, he's walking, walking around and John the Baptist sees him and, and says, look, the Lamb of God. And then John's followers start following Jesus and Jesus turns around and says, hey, what? What is it that you're looking for? What do you want? It's a question that invites us to think about our expectations when it comes to following Jesus. And, and then we asked, or we looked at a question that, that Jesus asked a man who was in, an invalid for 38 years as he enters a busy Jerusalem and sees him lying there by healing pools as he enters the city gates. And that question, do you want to be well? It invites us to think about God meeting us in those times and in those places where we ourselves feel helpless. And then last week, Pastor Faith, Pastor Faith preached on a question that was asked on the Sea of Galilee, right after Jesus commanded a a storm to be still and caused a stir in the disciples. Do you still have no faith? It's a question that invites us to trust God in the midst of the unknown. Now, each of those questions, each of the first three questions that we looked at happened in what I like to consider traveling time or common time. It's time when Jesus was moving from one place to the next, when he had a a conversation with somebody along the way. There are questions that remind us to remain alert and to always be paying attention, to always be listening because we never know when or where or how God might show up and we might be prompted to listen to what God has for us. But today's question is a little different. It comes from the the Sermon on the Mount. It's a little bit more direct and presumably didn't leave a lot of space For a dialogue while Jesus was preaching, hopefully they had some diving deeper questions later that they talked through and and dove and and, and wrestled with it. But it's one of those lessons that leaves us thinking, ah, huh, yeah, gee, thanks, Jesus. But what you're asking is easier said than done. Have any of you felt that way before? You've opened scripture and you've thought, oh, This is a whole lot easier to to read than it is to actually live out. Here's what I mean. Uh, On Wednesday night, we had our our first session meeting here, our our first time we got together pastors and and elders for the year, and it was an incredible, incredible meeting, a great way to start off the year. Uh, I went home, and and I'm one of those people that after a meeting like that, i got to unwind. Like, I can't just go from a meeting and jump into bed. I've got to just kind of unwind a little bit. So I went home and I, I unwound, I went to sleep. And after an hour or so, after my head hit the pillow, I heard an awful noise coming from downstairs, from our dog downstairs. I once heard that marriage can be defined as two people lying next to one another, asking who's going to go and check on the unlocked door or who's going to respond to the noise downstairs. And, uh, Haley is, is much more alert in those moments than I am. Uh, so that sound that, that was coming from downstairs, uh, it, was, it was between the, the, the sort of croup cough that babies have. Do you know what I'm talking about? That like deep, 
it's, it's a scary cough when, when babies get that. I was coming from the dog. It was like a mix between that and, and, and kennel cough, if any of you have heard kennel cough. But it wasn't kennel cough. It was this weird, deep, kind of scary sound. Eventually, we were both downstairs with Rutley, our, our two-year-old lab, hunched over, not necessarily in pain, but clearly uncomfortable. From 1 a.m. to 8 a.m., he woke up at about every 15, 20 minutes to make this awful, alarming sound. Neither of us slept with our minds racing with what might actually be wrong. We were worried about what might actually be wrong with our family pet. Haley took him to the vet that morning while I took Thomas to the orthopedic doctor to get a cast. And by 9.30 a.m., our dog was diagnosed with a bacteria infection in his trachea, and Thomas had another broken thumb. So your Thursday probably didn't look exactly like ours. At least I hope it didn't. But I'm guessing that you've had something happen, that all of us here this morning have had something happen in the last month, the last few months, that's caused you to lose sleep or to worry. Anyone? As you think about what exactly that issue may have been that's caused you to lose sleep or or to worry, I'd like you to hear these words from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Therefore... I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day is enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do not worry about tomorrow. Easier said than done. Can I get an amen? Before our youngest daughter was born, about seven years ago, we lived in a, in a three-bedroom townhouse and uh, no dogs, no broken thumbs at that point in life, but uh, uh, life, life actually seemed very simple then. And uh, our, our, our biggest concern at that time before Piper's birth, the thing that our family collectively stressed about was who was going to share a room in our house? Who was going to share a room in our house? Would we put the baby in big brother's room or the baby in big sister's room? And during dinner one night, Ella made an announcement that made us all, well, at least made Haley and I sigh in relief. She would move into Thomas's room to make room for her sister. The first two nights of the big move were awesome. The kids went to bed and the room was quiet. 
too quiet? Then came night three. Night three came, we closed the door, and immediately the giggling began. I remember standing on the other side of the door, smiling at the innocence of it all. I went back, back into the room to lay down the law to be the dad that says, It's time. Go to bed. And it worked for about two minutes. Needless to say, that night bedtime took a little bit longer, and I I think most parents have stood outside the doors of their kids' rooms waiting for them to go to sleep, knowing they need rest to make the next day a success. I stood outside their door thinking about all the things that adults typically think about. Health, whether or not they'd be able to focus the next day, that they needed to go to sleep so we could prepare ourselves for the next day. Now, we have convinced ourselves that worrying about tomorrow is the responsible thing to do. We live in a society built on preparing for tomorrow, worrying about tomorrow. But our kids are really good at reminding us that today is just as important, to live in the present. It's a simple lesson that we can learn from our kids or from the movies that our kids watch. Pumbaa and Simone, anyone? Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. Your turn, Hakuna Matata. There it is. It means no worries. Jordan, I told you we were singing for the rest of our days. It's our problem-free philosophy. I'm not going to be the singing pastor. Um... Our kids teach us that. We hear it, and yet, yet, it's so dang hard. It's so hard. But it's one of the more important takeaways from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Why do we worry? At some point, each of us experience a degree of anxiety or stress. Some of it's connected to things that we can control, to-do lists, how to use our time, but a good majority of them is living in fear of what we can't. Pastor Dale this morning says, you know why we worry, right? I said, no, why? And he says, well, the answer is to to why do you worry? You worry about all these things, but 90% of them don't come into fruition. We worry about things that don't happen, but they take up a lot of space in our mind. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he was, he was well aware of those worries, well aware of the anxieties of his day. He knew about the people's struggles, about the socio-political climate of his day, about all of the angst that, that existed in the religious world that day. Now, it's not too far of a stretch to say that the place that Jesus preached this message, uh, it was on the, the, the hill, on a hillside looking over the Sea of Galilee. So, so if any of you head toward the Pacific Ocean, kind of coming over the Santa Monica Mountains and you're looking over the ocean, it doesn't look all that different from that view. You kind of come down, Jesus is in the middle of the hill, people are sitting down, he can see the Sea of Galilee behind him. And as he looked down that hill, over a crowd of people that had gathered with him, he saw birds flying over the shoreline, he saw grass, he saw flowers that were growing on the hillside. And he looked at it all and he said, you know what, don't, don't worry. I know that you have a ton on your plate, but you're not alone. 
In God's mind, you are more important than all of this. Look around. The challenge for us is to remember that we are more important than all of this when our mind is racing late at night or when it's wandering during those those idle moments, sitting at the stoplight, waiting in line at the grocery store. Why do we worry? Why do we worry if we follow a sovereign God who holds each of us in His hands? Jesus doesn't tell the folks who were there that day that their problems didn't matter. He doesn't. He doesn't say, yeah, your your problems don't matter. Or that your problems will just go away. He doesn't. He simply invites them and invites us to see our problems within a bigger picture. Right before Jesus gets to the section on worry in His Sermon on the Mount, He he shares about giving. He shares about prayer. He he shares about how we should view our possessions. This whole section, it's about setting our priorities. And then there's a transition at the start of of verse 25, an important word that anytime we see it when Jesus is, is preaching, we should pay attention. And that word is therefore. So we, we set our priorities and why do we set our priorities? Therefore, to focus on God's kingdom. Anytime we find that word, we need to pay extra attention. Therefore, do not worry about what you'll eat or drink or about how you look. Therefore, think about your priorities. Pay attention to what's important. Therefore, see all of the things that keep you up at night within or through the lens of God's kingdom. He uses a method for teaching that was common for rabbis in his day. He'd ask a question. And most in the crowd would have known uh, kind of the surface level answer to that question. But that doesn't mean that they knew the whole answer. So he'd ask this question and and, and they would be able to give a, a surface level answer. But that surface level answer was just really the beginning of the answer. His questions are always an invitation to dig deeper, to journey further. It's one of the reasons that we're starting this year with a series about Jesus' questions. It invites us to journey further, deeper. So he points to the birds in the air that are likely flying around making noise. He probably had to stop at some point while they were, were making noise, while they were squawking around. And he says, look, this is, this is the first illustration. As we were wrapping up uh, Faith's ordination or the reception for her ordination last weekend, I was standing out on our courtyard. It was about dusk, uh, and some of our, our lovely neighborhood geese flew by. You know, we've got some neighborhood geese that live in the lake back here. They, they flew overhead, and the person I was talking to said, Oh, I didn't know you have Canadian geese here. And the third person that was standing there said, They're Canada geese, not Canadian geese. And I said, Huh. I don't hear them saying honk, eh? I, I, I didn't know what the difference was. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what the difference was, but, but okay. To Jesus and his, his... JR, that was just for you. <laughs> to Jesus and his listeners, the birds carried an economic and a vocational message. It's essentially if God takes care of the birds who are free to fly all around 
to do what they were created to do. That's what they were created to do, to fly around. Won't He take care of you? The point isn't that we don't need to work. We, We do. God created each of us with different gifts, different talents, different skills, and we are created to use them. In the same way that birds don't wait for God to just come by and drop food in their mouths, we weren't created to sit around idly and to not contribute to the, our communities. We were created to bring something to the table. But that doesn't mean we need to obsess over our work. To check our portfolio every hour. To update our resume on LinkedIn every week. I know that might sound crazy or, or even insensitive, but it's, it's not intended to be. Jesus, he responds to our worries about provision with, you can't add another hour to your life by losing sleep or obsessing over your worries. So why do we worry? If God takes care of the birds, we can rest assured that God takes care of us as well. And then Jesus turns to the flowers in the fields. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates Jesus' words here. Listen to this. He says, has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror even gotten taller by so much more than an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion. Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at fashion, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp. They never shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. I need to print Peterson's translation of Jesus' words here and put it on my middle schooler's mirror. And I need to point to it every time she says, Dad, you need to work on your fashion. This is a lesson about status seeking. It's not just about appearance. About status seeking. How much time and energy do we spend trying to, to fit into the right crowd, to live in the right place, to pull off the right image? We live in a world, especially here in Southern California, that obsesses over how we look. And Jesus points to the beauty of the wildlife and he says, why do you worry about it? Look around. Look, look around. You're more than enough. And God created all of that. And then he continues along those same lines with the grass that that would have grown on, on the hillside next to the flowers. I can't read this part of Jesus' sermon without... Uh, remembering what it was like to drive down the 101 five years ago uh, as the hills were ablaze around us in the Conejo Valley. But it's not just the, the fires that I remember. It's how green those hills were just before they started to burn. We live in a place where the cycle between wet and dry seasons is plainly visible in our hills. And it should remind us that God is constantly taking what is dead and lifeless, restoring it and making it beautiful again. 
Jesus is encouraging his followers to, to not lose heart when things appear hopeless. To stay the course, to hold fast to our faith. If God takes care of the fields, if God takes care of the grass that burned up and restored it and brought it back to life, that God is going to take care of us as well. Jesus' question about worry, it's not at all intended to belittle our stress or belittle our anxiety. It's an invitation to hold all of what we experience. The fears, the worries, the stress, as well as the joy, as well as what we, we celebrate, to hold that all within a bigger picture, a kingdom picture, that reminds us that God created everything and that the God who created everything cares deeply, deeply for us. The other day we were driving in the car and um, I don't know if it was the science unit that our kids are studying at school, um, but Piper, our, our first grader, said, Dad, do you know that the earth is really small in the universe? I just thought, wow, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess I do. It was totally out of the blue. And as any pastor dad would do, I said, and you're just one small person in that universe. Yeah, that isn't it. God created it all. I see, and God, in this big universe, in a smaller world, cares for you. It's a message we need to remember. It's a message we need to carry as we worry. Dietrich Bonhoeffer described the cycle of obsessive worrying as the process of collecting treasure that does nothing more but produce more worry. Collecting treasure that does nothing more but produce more worry. Jesus answers his own question in his sermon. And he does so by inviting his followers to seek first his kingdom. To use the kingdom of God as the lens through which we see and experience the rest of the world. So in the coming weeks, coming days, the coming hours after church, I'm sure there will be plenty to worry about. My guess is, as I've preached over these last 20 minutes or so, you've worried about three or four things. May we learn to see all that we worry about in light of the God who created everything, of the God who loves us, of God's kingdom, a kingdom where God loves and takes care of everything and everyone. Let's pray. Loving and holy God, may the world around us be a reminder that you hold us in your hands. The birds, the flowers, the grass, it all. As we bring our worries, fears, and anxiety to you, we ask that you grant us comfort, that you grant us peace. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.